This episode of The Come Up is part one of a two-part collaboration series with Dahlia Kinsey, host of the Body Liberation for All podcast. This episode, we talked to a friend of the show, Jamila Henson, about finding space for black, brown, and queer folks in the future. What does that look like? Come hear about it now. I'm going to bring on my amazing co-host for this incredible two-night event. Um, she is the host of the Body Liberation for All podcast. She is a trained nutritionist. She is a bri- brilliant human. I am a big fan of her, and you are going to love her, too. Here she is, Dahlia Kinsey. Oh! I love that. That is the best introduction I have ever had. <laughs> really, I ever? I am so hyped to be here. I'm well, so probably, but I have very I have short-term memory issues, but that I can remember, yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. You've done a beautiful job of hyping up this event. This is going to be a killer takeover. It's it's going to be great. I do want to say, I want to give a shout out to Brandy and her B7 album. Here's a shirt that I have just to prove how gay and fan I am. Um, oh, she looks like a goddess. Oh, this album is so good, too. Like, it just, it, it's, mm. you know, I wore it tonight specifically because we're going to talk about what it means to find space as a Black person. Um, and that's a conversation that I have all the time. And that's, you know, something that uh, Jamila and I talk about all the time. You and I have talked about it. But Brandy did that. Like, she created her own a record label and released her first independent album. Oh, I didn't um, even know she had a record label. After is eight that new? years, it is new. This was her first. This is her first release. Um, this is not a paid promotion. I will guarantee you. Um, if it was, I'd be very happy. Uh, so <laughs> I know, right? Hey, we love you, Brandy. Listen, Brandy, if you're watching, make a bone. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching, girl, we will take that promo. Um, so how are you, how are you doing this week? Before we bring on Jamila, I just really want to check good. In. I've been feeling, I think it was last week or the week before I hit a wall with this COVID mess and white supremacy hit a wall. Hey. And I just felt kind of run down, depressed, very nihilistic, everything set. And then all of a sudden through the help of my black business coach who's specifically helping women of color decolonize their businesses. She helped me realize where I was losing a lot of energy trying to show up in an acceptable form for different audiences. And I didn't even know I was still doing it because I'm all about liberation as evidenced by the title of my podcast. And Once I started consolidating everything, she said, I want you to look at everything in your business where you are compartmentalizing and see what happens. And what's happened is a weight has been lifting and doors have been opening. And it's only been like seven days, maybe eight days. Literally, I'm getting, I feel like downloads from the universe. Like I'm being myself and being rewarded for being myself. I told a friend earlier today in response to even more good news that I have a strong feeling that God is gay and she's in love with me. That's how I'm feeling today. God is gay and she's in love with me. Things are good. Now things could change tomorrow, but I'm really trying to fully experience this moment of just, it's like bliss. I fully came out of the closet. I was out to so, so many people, but I never really had a conversation with immediate family about 
being out and mm-hmm. it was uncomfortable. And then I realized that everyone that I thought didn't know just didn't want to talk about it. So I consider them on everybody's informed, right? Mm-hmm. And the world did not implode and everything is fine. And another weight has lifted. It's like, how old are you going to wait until you're fully going to be yourself? Mm. How long are you going to wait for permission? What are you willing to give up at the expense of your purpose? Because how can you live your purpose if you aren't willing to just fully embody who you naturally are? You know? And so I'm just like, I'm feeling loved by the universe today. At the risk of sounding extremely cheesy, disgustingly cheesy. That's how I'm feeling. I love it. (laughs) Didn't I tell y'all y'all not ready? Listen, speaking of things that I love in the universe, this is my friend Jamila. You all know and love her. She's been on the show. She's a hot taste contributor. Um, I, you know, she's an arts curator. She's an arts programmer. She told me to stop calling her an archivist, so I'm going to stop. Um, here she is, love of my life, Jamila Hinson. Hi, <laughs> hello. How are that you? That archivist tidbit. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not licensed. I mean, I know how to do some things, but I'm not licensed. So let me just pull that out of the bio. <laughs> Jamila, but I'm so happy you? to be here tonight. How are you doing I'm, this week? I'm, I'm being a person. Um, I think that's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to really um, enjoy the fall and just sink into myself, which I think I'll talk about more when we get further into the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, See, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just very happily content right now where I am. Yeah, that's good. We like happily content. <laughs> you know, I think that this is a, a conversation that is always happening, and I think it's happening more as we figure out like what accurate space, that's the word I'm using now, accurate space. Um, because I think that we there are spaces that exist. Afrocon is a space that exists. Um, I think that there are institutions that exist for black people. Um, but like, it's that, that level of the accuracy of like, how do we make it for all black people? Because a lot of those spaces are- yeah. um, Absolutely. Are problematic. Yeah. Exclusionary, um, full of respectability, politics, transphobic, homophobic, misogynistic, all the things. Everything, ableist, every single thing that could be. Yes, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, there it is. (laughs) 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 No, I mean, I'll start with Jamila. You know, we, you as a curator, that's something that your work like strives to do in a physical space is to create a space that is capturing this black or brown in most times queer artists like vision artistically in a room. So mm-hmm. how do you think that that work can translate to the world? The you know? world. Um, I think at least in a, in a, um, once again, I'm going to be like, if I only know visual arts, I don't know theater, but in a visual arts capacity, how to give that autonomy and that freedom and that just, um, that comfortable, accurate space, I would say, bring it out into the world. It's like you have to, in the art world, there has to be a reckoning of putting the art world back into the hands of the artist. Um, there is no way that a, a collector, director of exhibitions, even a curator or programmer is going to be able to fully 
give the space that's needed, I believe, until the art world pulls back from um, its whiteness, its heteronormativity, um, ableism, honestly, unless it's like performative, I want to say. Um, and you just have to, they have to let go and they don't want to let go. And until, until like these big institutions can let go, people are going to keep on flocking to, you know, these tiny galleries in Pilsen or this little, or, um, public space one in Iowa city, because like, where else am I going to go to be able to feel like I am in, um, control. And also if I'm, if I'm not in control, I feel comfortable with what is happening, you know? Mm. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I just think that whenever I talk to people about it, it's like, that sounds simple. <laughs> yeah. What? It all. What is it? What? Why? Why is it so hard? Like, I've been like, why? I just, why? Dahlia, fix it. Like, I just. It's insane. Right so I have been struggling a lot lately with trying to give people space to be stuck because it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be complicated, but we imagine barriers and they become real. So people keep trying to find all these complicated ways to solve problems that have all these steps and involve fundraising and all this work when what they need to do is internal work Release your white supremacy, release your hetero supremacy, release your ableism and work on all of your unconscious bias. That's hard work, but it doesn't require a plan or any funding. It requires you to be self-aware and interested in becoming a better version of yourself, but understanding that you're not losing anything. Space, power, access, it's not a pie. It's not limited. You are not losing anything if you make sure that a person with disabilities has equal access to dignity and joy in the environment that you're living in together. You're not losing anything. Like, when have you ever seen a ramp for a wheelchair and been like, it's effing up my day? You know, like, uh, it, it's, it's interfering with the stairs. No, it's never, it's not interfering with anything. It's making mm-hmm. someone else's life easier the way your life is easy because you walk and all the world is set up for people who walk, you know, yeah. it's, it's a mental block, but that's one of the hardest things. Even when somebody tells you they don't like something about your attitude, mm-hmm. it's like insurmountable telling somebody stop doing that, stop feeling that way. You know, you can't do it on a dime. And then a lot of times you don't need to, people are being like toxically positive, which is a whole nother thing, but you know how hard it is to control yourself sometimes. That's really a skill we have to build. Most of us have not been taught to be introspective or to control our thoughts at all. We just let Mm. them happen. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, because if you, because you can also control that idea that everything is an obstacle. Like whenever, whenever I'm talking to someone, especially right now in, in the creation process in theater, like I need artists to stop. I need specifically like theater artists to stop (laughs) acting unimaginative and just be cool with where we are right now. Like I get it. It was rough, but like the world shut down on March 12th. We got to move forward. Okay. It's winter. (laughs) Okay. So, so I'm talking to you and I'm like, you know, 
I keep hearing you talk about barriers and obstacles and what we can't do and what's not possible and why it's difficult. And I'm like, we we could be seeing this as opportunity. We could see this as, hey, now we have a show that can go into everyone's house. Hey, now we have a space where there are artists that we probably couldn't connect to, and now we can bring them in and have a conversation with them and see like what's happening in your side of the world. I, I just think that there's so much you know, in, in creating a smaller space, like for black, brown and queer folks, I think that it, it actually looks at like looking at how how much we have of a space already. Like mm-hmm. h- how much how much mm-hmm. headway has been taken, how many steps have been taken. And this moment has given a lot of folks time to like sit and be like, I think is what that's what I've done is like figure out like what's what's my version of creating that space. And then how do I use that space to connect everyone else like how do i use this space to make a space of 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 my own that then just happens to grow into something that everyone can use you know what i mean um how do we turn obstacles into opportunities huh that's the service (laughs) that really sounds like you must have some natural disposition for that so you tell us because it sounds like you see right. opportunities. Right, make it like a thought in just enthusiasm. Yeah, you know, over here being all famous and stuff. I keep seeing you <laughs> doing all the things on IG. Listen, um, you know, I I was telling this to somebody the other day. Is I think that what you have to do, and this is what I, something I say to a lot of nonprofit leaders, they never listen to me because for some reason, if you are, if you're not white um, and you're not above the age of like 50, no one is going to listen (laughs) to what you have to say about anything in a nonprofit leadership conversation. Right. And so I, I'll, I'll say things like I, I create out of necessity. So like this show was born out of me not being able to connect with people and wanting to talk to artists and see what they were doing next boom, got a show. And then somebody made a graphic and I was like, okay, well now I have to be serious. And so that was, that was a necessity. Um, it's like the hot takes thing. Uh, I, I got the radio gig and I was like, how do I keep it relevant? Oh, I can talk about news. Oh, who needs to be talking about news? Black, brown and queer people. Awesome. Hot takes. Like it's, it's for me, it's like all about like what, and even like it, all the opportunities I'm taking, like right now, I feel like I'm back in the beginning of my acting career in a lot of ways. Um, Cause I don't do unpaid work. But I am doing like some work that's not paying me as much as I should be paid in this specific yeah. realm because I'm trying to, how do I market myself as this, as whatever this is? Um, and so that's out of necessity that I'm like, let me MC Afrocon. Let me do edit this radio show every week. Let me, yeah. And so that's just kind of, you know, I think that and, that, and you can do that in your own life. You can do that organizationally. You can do that institutionally. Like how... What what do we need in this moment? And then just feeling that need with the thing. Like, well, I can see other people still feeling overwhelmed by that. Seeing that there's a necessity that would paralyze some people. Mm. But what I hear you saying is that you are a communal person and you are already connected to people and all you're doing is filling the needs of the people around you, which is literally the only way to be successful in business is to listen to your, what people want and give it to them. But the difference is you're actually listening. So maybe it's partially being an effective communicator (laughs) or maybe it's being sincerely interested in other people. But I do find that black people in general and a lot of people of color, very communal, 
everything happens in community. But one of the sad things that being colonized did to a lot of us is it separated us from ourselves and from each other. So we have all these internalized colonial values and white supremacist values that get us stuck on things like colorism and respectability politics. And people get really weird if they feel like somebody's too ratchet, you know, and there's just a lot of division. But then Mm -hmm. if you can find community with other people, it's pretty easy to survive. It's the people who are trying to make it alone or with this tiny immediate family unit that are struggling the most. Mm. Like make some friends, you guys, but sincerely. And like, don't wait until you need something to make a friend. And you don't have to be friends with people that you don't like. You don't ever know what someone's going to bring in your life. So don't make friends with people that you think can help you just because you think they can help you. Literally just make friends. That's what real networking is. But the way it's usually framed from this dis like really icky, skeezy, predatory, capitalistic angle is try and see who you can use and mm. sh- like shoot sunshine up their butt until they give you something, you know? Which, For sure. <laughs> it doesn't, it's a lot of work to do it. And who falls for that? You know, when somebody is no. just trying to see what they can get out of you and it's super gross, <laughs> you know, that's my take on it. I, um, kind of jumping off of that, um, we were talking about like finding community, um, and like large groups and spaces. I, um, during this time in the pandemic, um, so I live by myself. So, you know, for until I think, um, I was working at the Art Institute and I think it might've closed maybe March 20th or so. Um, and until May, and when I went to see Nick, that was the first time I saw anyone in person that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I was very excited. But like, I also kind of, while I was by myself, um, I kind of started to build community within myself. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know a more, I don't know a more articulate way to say that, but it, it felt like you just have to, cause I mean, I know a lot of people in Chicago. I know a lot of people outside of Chicago. You know, there are people that I can reach out to that I'm close with and things like that. But I felt like you, I needed to, kind of reevaluate who I am when I'm by myself consistently and constantly to be mm. able to go in, go back into my communities and my friend groups and things like that and make sure that those bonds are still really strong so that we have each other in this time, you know? So I'm not, so I, I mm, it's just like a, a way of, of building your own self in order to build a stronger community with outside of yourself. And that's what mm. I've been trying to really work on a lot um, through this whole pandemic because I was planning in 2019, I was like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I was going to take 2020 off. I'm like I'll do some things here and there. And then, you know, 2020 came through um, like a raging bull. So is this bull. your fault? <laughs> like, cause you're, you're taking time off now, right? Apparently. Um, Oh dang, I just lost my train of thought. But like, no, but yeah, it's just it's um it was I was exhausted. So I was going to, I was coming into 2020 of like trying to refigure out myself and how I interact with myself and things like that. Because like I um, you know, like most people in the arts, you're going out to things a couple nights a week, you're seeing all these people, you're you're expelling all of this energy out into your community, which is needed and necessary and really beautiful. Um 
But I think pe- black black people in particular, especially black women, need to also um, kind of feed the community of themselves, of their mm-hmm. of their person. Um, if that makes sense. And I think that's just like a really, like it's like a balance, like what you were saying and like also community within yourself. I think it's like a really important balance to be settled with, to, to that will allow you to settle within yourself. Yeah. Ooh, question. That makes a lot of sense. Jamila, what does, what does that work look like? Like, what does it look like to build community within myself? I think it's different for everyone. For me, it's been, um, a lot of plant maintenance. Um, I have a lot of plants now. I mean, I have a lot of plants going in, but now I'm like, okay, let me let me get some more all of a sudden. Um, so it's just like, I mean, when I tend to my plants, it's like probably may, maybe an hour of looking after something that is so important to me, um, but that doesn't, well, I guess it does feel like an extension of myself, like me caring for these um, living living things um because they need you i've killed a few plants oh my goodness (laughs) i'm a plant killer right that sounds so wonderful though how did you (laughs) realize that was your thing i don't think i did it consciously i think um a lot of like my my personal artistic practice is getting more and more into um, just the black body, the black consciousness within nature, um, especially in the Americas, because there's so much both like um, trauma and joy, just sunk into the land for black people. Um, And so I don't think it was a, I don't think it was a conscious decision to be like, I'm going to tend to plants now. Um, I've always really enjoyed them. You know, that that millennial joke of like, we don't have kids, we have plants and things like that. Um, And so it it just felt really natural. Um, I don't know if that was because, you know, I've, we were, I was that kid making mud pies and stuff like that in the backyard. So I don't know if it's just me coming back to, um, myself, um, a a part of myself that I knew in my childhood. Um, I'm not sure what it was, honestly. I can't, I really couldn't answer it, but it's, it's settled me in a way that makes me really happy. And like, I wasn't expecting Oh, that is beautiful. Ooh, I love that. Listen, I have a plant story. So <laughs> so my friend Ephraim, shout out Ephraim. Ephraim. Yeah, we went, we went to college with Ephraim. And <laughs> so he, they had stolen this plant from their second floor dorm. I feel like I can say this publicly now because we are long gone from college. So they stole this plant from their dorm. Um, and he was keeping it over the summer. And like Ephraim is from Oregon. So he's plants. Like he's like with it. Um, I'm not. And he was like, Hey, could you watch this plant over the summer? And I told him, you don't want me to watch that plant. Like I'm telling you now I am a plant killer. And he was like, no, he was like, it's a really easy plant. You just That's have to- what they always say. That's what the plant people always say. You can't kill this. But there are, are you plants, Listen, this was not one of them because I came home one day and I was like, who left a dead plant on our porch? You didn't even recognize it? I forgot about it till it died. Listen, oh. that's what I'm saying. I'm not the one. I'm not the one. Like, it was dead, and I was like, oh, you. Not good. Like, Amer- but listen, that's better than America does for Black people. Huh? Message. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Please start shouting message. Who does that remind me of? That was my exit. That was my exit. I was like, that's my exit. Oh, yeah. So 
many times. Like, there are several things you said that brought up a specific song for me, Nick. I don't know if it's you and because you're a musical person or or what. But earlier when you were talking about creativity and doing things out of necessity, do you remember that Arrested Development song called Africa's Inside of Me? This is from a, a million years ago. Oh, wait, what? Let me put that in the show notes. It was an Arrested <laughs> Development song. You remember them? They sang Mr. Wendell and they sang whatever was the one that said something about Oklahoma. I don't I know. know. I, like I, don't I don't know any of the names of their songs. It, I'm it, seriously, that was good stuff. Remember when everybody was woke in the 90s? So it was one of those. It was like a Spike Lee vibe type of wake up type of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. You have to listen to it. But because it perfectly encompasses what you're saying, that people of the diaspora are naturally resourceful. And maybe it isn't that this is how we are because of something genetic, but this is the human response to oppression and through not being given adequate access to resources, is that Mm. it opens up a part of you that is creative and understands that you can use, there are no rules. You can use whatever you want, however you want. Who said a stick and a rag couldn't be a mop? It can. Mm-hmm. I've seen people do that. Who said that a mason jar isn't a vase? You know, just the lack of resources and the creativity but I think it's actually very protective for your mental health to keep seeing solutions and keep seeing options where other people don't see any because they don't have to see any. Mm. Wow. <laughs> that was right. That just like that because you know I mean I think about um, I took one of my favorite classes of all time was aesthetics. Um, I'm, I was a philosophy minor, and aesthetics is the philosophy of art. How brilliant. It was incredible. Um, but, like, the first question of the class was, like, what is art? Um, and, and one of the theories that I'll never forget is the institutional theory, which is the, the thing that's like, I'm calling this art, therefore it is art. I made this thing, and it is art. Bam. Instituted. Um, so, 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 like, this idea that I can be like, oh, like, I'm because I said it is, it is. And, like, that's my whole training as a theater artist. Like, in creative drama, like, uh, we have this game that I try, that, Jamila, I'm sure I've tried to make you play this game, um, where, where, I, where I take an item and I'm like, this is not a stapler. It's Miss Pac-Man. Whap, 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 whap. And then I would pass it around the circle and everyone, and I, I play this at lunch. I play, I've played this with people in before, the before times when you could go to dinner together. I've played this at, I've played this at parties. Like, like, I, like, like, and, and that is just, but that sort of imagination, like, we lose that. Like kids do, like, like Jamila, you were saying, like, maybe I'm just going back to my roots of like playing in the dirt because that's what I did as a kid. Like, and we, I feel like we lose this quality of play when we get older and it, and it stifles us. Um, and it, and it cuts us off from everything that we already know about existing yes. and, and how to exist yeah. and just be in the world. Um, so hey. yes, <laughs> isn't it crazy how much you think you're making progress, but you're just being socialized and pulled farther and farther away from who you were born to be. 
and yeah. you work through all your conditioning and you find yourself doing stuff that you knew you wanted to do when you were three and people told you not to. Either it was rude or it was dumb or it was a waste of time or girls shouldn't be getting dirty outside in the dirt, you know? It's just insane how much I don't have or want any children, but I have tremendous respect for kids in a way that I know a lot of older people don't when they're constantly talking down to them and saying, Oh, when you get older, you'll understand. There's so much they understand right now that they're being taught to forget. Is this mm-hmm. really disrespectful the way people talk to toddlers? I mean, I they're agree. annoying, but still like give them some, respect. it's just a young <laughs> that part. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 um, I, I have a tendency to be able to work with teens um, on and off sometimes. And as terrifying as they are, um, it's because they are at, like, they're, they're at this moment where like they, you know, they, you know, so they're like 16, 17, 18. So they've, they've been, that social socialization is there, but that angst is also there, you know, and they want to break, they want to break it so bad. They don't know how to, but they're, they don't, and they also don't know how brilliant they are because they're, we constantly tell them, you're too young to understand this. You're not, the kids are insightful enough, that whatever, whatever it is. And it's like, I don't think, like, I agree. It's like they, like the way people under 18 are treated um, in an intellectual capacity is disgusting. I was talking to my sister, um, kind of a kind of a tangent. I was talking to my sister about like I don't see pogo sticks anymore. We used to play with pogo sticks. I mean, I used to break my bones and we used to play with them. And I was like, that's I feel like the nineties were like the last remnants of people like parents not caring what the kids were doing because I'm like pogo sticks are dangerous. Um, <laughs> I think there there's that shift of like you know strange danger in the eighties or whatever. So people see kids as like they try to they try to respect them physically. But they're not respecting them mentally, artistically, creatively, creativity. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, And that, and like, what what would spaces even beyond the arts look like if we allow people from you know one to eighteen to really flourish within themselves before we try to break them down and make them into like respectable Mm -hmm. black people or like queer people who aren't too loud and too garish or whatever, you know, like what, what Mm -hmm. would the world look like if we allowed humans to be human? Oh, and it's, it's hard, especially Mm -hmm. in a black household, right? Because our parents are coming from the space of like, I need to protect your little ass from the rest of this world. Yeah. I want you to survive. I don't want you to be murdered for being, a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I, I just, I just really, <laughs> as we're in this conversation of racial reckoning, as we always are in this conversation of racial reckoning, like the, the piece that I really want white folks to understand is that like that, that training of thought is, that happens from the beginning, from, I mean, from the inception of black life within the womb the thought of the safety How of your child you comes. Yeah, yeah. It, that's the first thing, you know? And it has to be because even the mortality rates for pregnant black mothers, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how much money she makes. It doesn't matter if she's married. It doesn't matter where she lives. She's more likely to die in the process of giving life to another black person. And or after. All, that's or after. True. Because they also, you know, like... Black woman will say to a doctor, "Yo, this, I'm something's wrong," and they're like, "Oh, you're fine." And then 
right. she dies on the table. And I'm like, not only do we have to be concerned about the life <laughs> like that we're about to give, we have to be concerned about our, our own life because you don't value it. You don't listen to me. Um, you don't take anything I say seriously. And my pain does not matter to you, whether be it emotional, mental, or physical. What mm-hmm. kills me is all the people that will hear that and say, oh, not me. I, I love you, Nick. I would never do that to you. I don't do that to you. But even in saying that, you're doing it again. Yeah. Why don't yep. you just believe me? And if you find that you're having trouble believing me, Google ain't broken. Okay. Yeah. Can you? Libraries can you? Are so open. For the people in the back that just might be a little confused, what what do you mean by you're doing it again? What about that action is like a repeat of the offense? You're not listening to us. When people of color, when black people say there's a problem, nobody listens. You dismiss it, you make it smaller, you try and say we are being hypersensitive, we decided to take it that way, we misunderstood, oh, we need to understand that that person was raised in a different time. Oh, well, what if the different treatment that you got has more to do with something else about you that's marginalized that white people also have? Maybe they treated you this way because you're queer. Maybe they treated you this way because you're fat. Maybe they treated you this way because you don't make $250,000 a year. I have been living this experience so much longer than you even knew race was still relevant in this country. Mm -hmm. Because not so long ago, while SNL, while major mainstream TV shows in this country were still doing blackface, I was being told at least once a week that we were living in a post-racial society, that I'm colorblind. I don't even think about race. I don't even see it. I've never been that way. My parents have never been that way. But that's so strange that everybody's telling me that they don't know any racists. And yet, there's still Klan rallies in my city. And yet, there's still all these forms of like honor and all these homages to the Confederacy and nobody sees that that's a problem and nobody sees that most of these monuments went up in response to major civil rights movements. When someone else black who wasn't being listened to said, Hey, could I have equal protection under the law? Oh, could I be an equal citizen? I mean, country was built on my back and I'm back of my ancestors like could I have some crumbs over here and the response is no know your place oh reminder we let you guys be free the funniest thing to me is people not understanding that freedom was only a matter of time and the way our history here is so distorted most of us don't know how many uprisings there were and frequently these uprisings yeah. it wasn't just black people So many of the Jim Crow laws, so many of the laws around slavery were meant to keep the working class divided so that if there was a slave rebellion, the slaves would be on their own. Mm -hmm. It's just fascinating to me how distorted people's understanding of our power as a people is and our numbers and our ability to discern whether or not somebody's racist as an AF, okay? I, like, don't want to fill your podcast with authority. <laughs> but it, it, I, it, this is an ongoing issue with dietitians. They're always saying they want for the field to be more diverse. Less than 2% of dietitians are black. Wow. As you know, 
that is not reflective of our population in this country. What I hear people getting stuck on is, oh, it's that there are financial barriers. Well, in that statement is the assumption that all black folks are on the struggle bus. False. The reason why I would never recommend that another black person go into this field is because I have never experienced so many microaggressions in such a small period of time as I did going through the core of the program and doing the internship. Like literally at one of the jobs that was supposed to be like respected hospital and it is a well-respected hospital. And I'm guessing the most problematic department is one that I was shadowing in. They were making jokes about Mexican people. They were saying they didn't understand why they had to put a black lady on one of their pamphlets. And they said that they did enough because they'd done something in February and that all this inclusion stuff was getting out of control. And they had one black employee who was in a position subordinate to them. And they thought they weren't racist because they like her and are willing to eat the cake that she brings them. People don't want to be in the field because it's racist AF. Okay. And it doesn't pay well enough to endure that kind of abuse. It isn't the financial barrier, but when you try and present, Hey, the issue is your love of white supremacy. Mm, Nobody wants to work on that. Everybody wants to have more meetings or discussions or create more PowerPoints about how to be culturally competent slash memorize stereotypes. That's literally what it is. Oh my God. Can you just replace dietitian with theater? (laughs) Or I'm sure Jamila's like with a visual art. Yes, oh, like, cause, cause that's, <laughs> like, cause that's the thing is, and, and this is what I keep trying to get into the heads of these institutions is that like every institution in this country is rooted and set on top of white supremacy. That's just, that's how it was built. And so when you look at your institution from the way that your institution um, gets its money to the way that you have structured it to the top down thing, like it's all built in supremacist background. And, and this the idea that uh, information needs to stay siloed until there is enough information for everyone to know, like these, these concepts, um, the, the idea that, oh, like they like that you just need to learn more to get into the space. Um, that's supremacist. That's like, and, and the fact, and you're also not, where do we provide that education then? So if there's a company, uh, there's a company that I I know of in Omaha that, you know, is like, everyone needs to, expects everyone to be at a certain level of their audition, right? But if you're not providing any resources to people that have never done theater before at your community institution to be better, where do where are we supposed to get this education? What you've now done is you've created a separate box of individuals that you can go to because you know that they're good enough um, to be on stage. So instead of offering guidance, instead of offering support, you you don't offer a hand at all. You just say, mm, sorry about it. And that's that's supremacy. Like, and that's and and you can't mask that as oh, we just didn't know. You gonna tell me you didn't know black people right. existed? That's a lie. That that's like and then to on the barriers because then if there wasn't all that hostility and all the microaggressions then the black people who do happen to have access to the networks and the resources to have that additional training they do not stay long enough to serve as mentors to other people of color and that's what the big piece I think people are missing is like we don't need your charity and that whole white savior thing is also racist you know like again for the people in the back like that isn't good 
that is part of the problem. Like the goal of this major civil rights movement is not to teach white people to be nicer. And it seems like that's not what a lot of people seem to think it is. Like this is a self-improvement project for white folks. That that really is the vibe I'm getting. That's that is self-improvement project. And it's like, well, but that's what they're reading their books. They're, I'm like, where are the book reports? Like, I'm like, I'm like, y'all have read a lot, but like, Can where you the- do anything? And and the last time that someone told you you did something problematic, did you listen? And we can't just make too much work for a lot of people, though. They don't want to put that work in. They want to get once again be very performative across across spheres, dietitian, theater artist, whatever it is. It's such it's such a like good feeling for them to feel to be performative, um, and their good feeling about what they did for that day is it overshadows the terror that they probably inflicted on black, brown, queer people with their microaggressions, with their false allyship, with their toxic positivity, so many things that Mm. felt like they felt good for that one thing. So it doesn't matter. And it's just exhausting. Exhausting. Well, Exhausting. And that's, you know, how I feel about, oh, we could talk forever. This is going to have to be well. It's, we're just chatting. I love y'all. Um, <laughs> so uh, the, but you know, EDI trainings, I'm very skeptical of them because I feel like what happens is you put a bunch of white folks in a room. There's typically a black person in front of them that's like, let's talk about EDI. And then they leave and they're like, wow, I learned so much about being a better white person today. And I am good. I'm good. And then you're like, well, here's a problem. And they're like, well, I, uh, I, I don't know if you know, but I took some EDI training. So <laughs> I, I don't have any of those issues oh that you're referring goodness. to. I feel like I literally have had that conversation with someone who, like, I tried to explain that they were not understanding how diverse the diaspora is and that this is a very common thing in the United States people imagine we're part of one cultural group, which could not be farther from the truth. Even, I I won't even say, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to deter anybody from doing the right thing when they go to vote. So we'll talk about this after this is over. But somebody Mm -hmm. said that Black people were not diverse, like Hispanics. We will say who. And I don't understand why people continue to believe that when we are always telling them how we are individuals that nobody listens to us. So I was telling somebody that it was so dumb that they had grouped all people with black skin into one group in a bit of research they were doing. And they said something to the effect that they took a class about race. I'm like, okay, I got it. And I've been (laughs) black since the freaking day I was born. And my mom's from another country. Her parents are from different countries. Hello, I think I know that there's diversity in the diaspora and our food ways are very distinct. And you're making all these assumptions based on yeah. us being homogenous and that's false. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you're wrong. I'm not debating, I'm not suggesting. I suggest you go out and find out how I'm right. Again, Google ain't broken. That part, that, that part, part, that part. I'm not debating, I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. I'm saying, based on my actual experience, there's there's a play called Smart People. I think you would both love it. It's about four smart people that are connected to Harvard. Uh, it's it's a, a black man who is uh, getting his doctorate. He's going to be a doctor. Um, there's a black woman who just graduated with her master's in theater. Um, there is an Asian woman who is a psychiatrist and a professor at Harvard. And then there's a white man who is a uh, professor at Harvard and his 
his whole the purpose of his whole study is to prove that white people are racist. So throughout, like like genetically, so throughout all of the show, he's kind of just like telling these people of color like his his opinions on race and why he's correct because he studies race. Um, and then and it's it's just fascinating because we all know those people. Like, like each of us knows a person that has studied race that is now like, mm-hmm. Jamila, I'm not sure you're correct on that one because from my research, uh, this is what I found. And it's like, you know, my research has to deal with <laughs> my actual body and existence. And why don't we look at the hours that we've put into this experience? Let's just look at the hours alone. Unpaid oh, hours. You got unpaid. paid. You got but paid to research is, about me. Care. You have a doctorate. I don't care if you went back for even more study. Did you do it for 30 years? Did you experience it every day, every hour that you were awake? Then no, boo-boo, there's no way that you know more about this than I do. You may know some things I don't know, but you will never know more than me because you will never be able to put in the time. I do this all day. I'm really confused right now. I'm like the caucasity of it all. The caucasity yep. of it all. Jamila, any parting words for the people? Um, geez. Oh no, I feel like I'm on the spot now. Um, <laughs> you don't have to have parting words. I'm just going to kick you out now. So I just wanted to make sure you got your chance. <laughs> No, it was great though. This has been great. That's my favorite word. <laughs> uh, I knew I knew that this would be amazing. I'm so thank you, Jamila, for coming on and doing this. And, and thank you both. Yeah, it's been a delight. Well, that was a blast, Dahlia. I'm so happy that you're here with me. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me on. I loved meeting and chatting with Jamila. I knew you would love her. So, where can folks learn more about the Body Liberation for All podcast? The best way to keep up with new episodes and whatever events I have going on is to get on my mailing list. So if you go to sendfox.com slash Dahlia Kinsey, that's D-A-L-I-A-K-I-N-S-E-Y, you'll be able to keep up with everything that's going on. And I'm launching kind of a semi-monthly webinar series. My next live stream is going to be on October 17th. And The title of the webinar is Decolonize Your Body Image, and that'll be at noon Eastern Standard Time. So you're not going to want to miss it if you're a brown person, if you're a queer person. This is specifically for you. I love it. Well, and, you know, you people all know where to find me. The come up with nickwickham.com. You can check me out there. Subscribe to my YouTube. Join my Patreon. Buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com. And you know what? I'll see you next time. Thank you.